Welcome to the WatermarkOC.Church podcast. Thank you for listening. We're in this series called Wonderful, and it is a book written to the early church, as Ben said. Their lives were less than wonderful because they were suffering persecution. They were struggling, trying to find their way. Uh, a Roman world was uh, persecuting them for their faith. They were ostracized from a Jewish community that they'd come out of as Christians. They were alone. They were struggling. They were thinking of giving up. And the, the, the book of Hebrews is really written to a group of people, encouraging them in the reality of the promises of God that were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And today in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be encouraged, along with the readers of this original book, to continue on the journey of faith. And the reality of the resurrection is this incredible truth that we can grab a hold of today, wherever you're at on your faith journey, and, and understand who God is really at his core, and why he sent his son, and what he came to do for us. Because if the resurrection is a reality, it was a game changer for all of mankind. Death does not have to have the final say over your life. It does not have to be the finish line of your life. There is something beyond the grave, and it's way different than just some space of nothingness or some impersonal spiritual uh, aura or some disembodied uh, fairy tale fantasy. It is the reality of a risen body on a risen planet. And why do we know that reality? Because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the good news. That is why the author is writing these Christians who are struggling and telling them to continue to hold on to their faith. And maybe you are struggling here today. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling in relationships. Maybe you're struggling and suffering because you're facing physical illness. Uh, maybe it's a, an economic situation or a job loss or addiction. Whatever your struggle is today, God has provided a way and he's made a way, and you grab that way by faith, by choosing to trust in the reality and the promises of God. That's why the author wrote Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 has been an amazing chapter in my life. As I try to, technology, as you can see, I'm challenged here. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. It's been one of my favorite passages over my life to go to when I've been struggling, when I've been uh, going through times of suffering. Uh, having sickness with my children, difficulties with my work, the loss of a, of a business, uh, struggles. This is one of the anchor passages that I like to go to because it always encourages me in the way of faith. It's sort of like a highlight film of these great heroes. It's called the Hall of Faith. Sort of like if you were to watch, I'm a basketball guy, if I watch some of the greats, like if I, if I watch Magic Johnson, Showtime, anybody remember Showtime? If I watch some of the old Showtime, oh man, that was, the, that was the good old days, man. Look at Magic, man, look at him go, look at Showtime. Look at Michael Jordan, look at him slam, oh, it just inspires me, because I love basketball. Well, this is an inst inspirational highlight film of heroes of faith. And it calls out faith within all of us to continue to trust in God and his promises, no matter what season you're going into. I mean, it's easy to trust on the mountaintop, but in the valley, faith is that anchor that holds us in the storms of life. And so the author says, and what more shall I say as he's talking about all these great names? 
I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, right? Who by faith conquered kingdoms, administrated justice, gained what was promised, and shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weaknesses, right? This is not a human thing. This is not about human strength. They're weaknesses, this is about a small shepherd boy with a slingshot <laughs> who takes down Goliath. This is about three Hebrews who are thrown into the fire and should be burned up and are not. Uh, this is about uh, men that took the promise of faith and faced incredible circumstances against all odds. They overcame, whose weakness was turned into strength, who's, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Woman, receive. They're dead back as they prayed. In the Old Testament, we have two women under the prophet, prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha, right? And, and these women both prayed, and God raised their children back to them from the dead. I mean, these are amazing stories. We love these stories. We love to cheer them. We love to watch them. They inspire us. Because in the face of overwhelming situations, we want to know God is there. God is real. And God is with us. Have you ever prayed and God gave you an answer? Have you ever prayed and felt like, wow, it just came like a text from heaven, right? Like a Facebook post right there. Somebody, somebody shot something to you. Circumstances were changed. You saw something miraculous. I, I've been there. I've, I've been to the bedside when someone is suffering. And I've laid hands on him. And I prayed for, I've seen God raise him to life again. I've seen the healing. I've seen the miraculous. And many of the people of faith at Watermark have stories like that. And that's why a faith community is so important. We share these stories and we encourage one another. But the list is not in there. And I'm thankful that it doesn't <laughs> in verse 35. The chapter's not over. And the author is going to make a shift now. And he's going to say to the reader, be careful that your definition of faith is not so narrow that you have to get whatever you pray for right here, right now. Right? Be careful that your definition of faith is not, I give my God my agenda and he fulfills it for me today, tomorrow, the next day. And by the way, hurry up with the answer, right? Right? God is not an Amazon account. Right? We live in a consumer culture and we tend to project our own culture onto this God and say, God should be an Amazon account. One point, one click of prayer, and boom, it shows up at my door. Isn't that amazing? God is not a genie in a bottle. And the world is way too complex, way too mysterious, and way too challenging to get through storms with that simple, beautiful, but yet immature definition of faith. Faith is so much more and so much more bigger and beautiful than that. And the reality of God is many times mysterious and eternal. What he's doing, he's working a bigger plan. He asks us to trust in him, even in the storms of life. Johnny Erickson Tata. Have you guys ever heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? Beautiful woman, 18 years old. She jumps into the Chesapeake Bay, shallow water, hits her head, spinal cord injury, right? She is a paraplegic, quadriplegic for life. Her friends, well-meaning friends, and I apologize because I've seen this happen. And maybe I've been a part, if you just pray, pray hard enough. If your faith is big enough, God, click, the Amazon, God's going to answer you. 
Well, guess what? That didn't happen for Johnny Erickson Tata, right? And I'm so thankful that her definition of faith was not just this big. Yes, sometimes we pray, yes, God does miraculous things, but sometimes he doesn't answer in that miraculous way. And because Johnny's, Johnny's definition of faith is so much more bigger and so much more wonderful and so much more awesome, she has lived an amazing life. She would have fallen into hopelessness and despair, probably, you know, uh, would have had no meaning or purpose, but because her God is so much bigger She's lived this incredible, inspiring life, inspired so many sufferers with her story. And she has this reality of something way bigger and better to come. That's why the next list in Hebrews is there. Because what about the others? Maybe you're here this morning and you're an other. I, I prayed, I asked, I asked, and I didn't get the answer I wanted. I prayed, I asked, and things didn't work out. I prayed, I asked, my business went down, I lost my job, things didn't go the way that I thought they should go. Well, this list is here for you to encourage you that faith is way more than just that other definition. There were others who were tortured, released, refusing to be released so that they might gain an b- even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Their faith was too big to fit in just just a worldly circumstance or a worldly answer. Their faith was way bigger than that. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. There were others who prayed that had incredible faith. They didn't get the same answer as the first list. And they're there to encourage us when those answers are not there in the mystery of our faith. Now, we might think of people in the Bible. David prayed. He was amazing. He defeated Goliath. He became a king. He overwhelmed many in many, many battles. He was an incredible warrior. But he had a buddy whose name was Jonathan, his best friend. Anybody heard of Jonathan? Jonathan had the same faith, incredible character. He, he was supposed to take over for his father, the king. He had this incredible future. He prayed. He trusted God. He loved his father. He loved his friend David. And guess what? He lost everything. He died on the battlefield in a foreign land in an overwhelming battle. That's what happened to Jonathan. He's a hero of faith too. Peter prayed. He was put in prison. Peter prayed, an angel showed up, and the doors opened. How do you like that service? He just walked right out of the prison. Yes, I like that. John the Baptist, he was put into prison. He prayed. He was like one of the greatest men of faith that ever lived. What did he get? He got beheaded. He he got sawn in two. You see, faith is way much more bigger and way more profound and way more powerful than just an earthly answer right now. I love this this first line. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. Right before it said, women prayed and they received their children back. And then it says there were others, other women that prayed, refusing to be released, that they might gain a better resurrection. Who is this referring to? Uh, Many scholars would say this refers to the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New It's called the intertestamental period. It lasts for about 400 years in history. 
And during Jewish history, some amazing things happened for the Jews that are not recorded in scriptures. We're Protestants, we're Christians. Many times we're not familiar with that part of history. But there was this time, and people feel this is refer referring to the Maccabean martyrs. And there was a time when Israel was overrun by the Syrians during this intertestamental period. And there was an evil, torturous king. Um, he, he was the head of the Syrian Empire. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. What a name, huh? But he was brutal, and he hated the Jews. He hated their traditions. He hated their law. And so he would come into a city, and he wanted to make a spectacle of the Jews, and he would get a prominent family of faith. He would bring them in the public arena, and he would call them to recant their faith, to renounce the God of the covenant, to, to walk away from the law, to eat pig's flesh right in front of him and come and kiss his ring just to torture all the Jews. And there's a famous family in 2 Maccabees chapter 7. It's a woman and her seven sons. And she became, came before this king, and he gave her the deal. Torture, or I'll let you, you know, eat the pig, pig, kiss my ring, and you're free to go. And she said no. And her sons said no. And she had to watch each of her sons tortured, dismembered, a brutal death right in front of that mother. Can you imagine how terrible that was. And the book records before the first son and the next son came up, she said, son, it wasn't I who gave you your life and your body, your beautiful arms or your eyes. It was the God of the covenant, our heavenly righteous God. And he will honor you as you have given your life to serve him today. And one day you will get your arms back, and one day you will get your eyes back, and one day you will get your body back. And she watched that from son to son. None of them recanted their faith. They all died. That is what this is referring to. Women refused to be released, and they were tortured. She was longing and looking for a better resurrection. What does that mean, a better resurrection? What does that mean? You see, it, it's awesome to pray and receive an answer right here now. It's beautiful. It's a gift from God. If you pray for a sick child and you get that child back, you pray for a son, you get your son back. You pray for a marriage, you get that marriage back. But you know, in reality, that is only a resuscitation. That is only a temporary stay because we will all face suffering and death. That is one thing that no one has been able to avoid on this planet. Two things, right? Death and taxes. And so we can get a stay. We can get more time. That's a beautiful thing. But ultimately, we're still going to face a world that has uncertainty, suffering, and death. This woman didn't just go for a resuscitation. She believed in a resurrection. She believed in something way better than just an earthly, temporary stay in a world that is suffering and full of death. Because she was a righteous Jew. The Jews believed that one day a Messiah would come, a, a, an earthly figure, and he would sit on the throne of David, and he would establish a rule of justice, and all of Israel's enemies would be overcome, and through the justice and the righteousness of his reign, at some point, the resurrection of the righteous would happen at the end of time, at the end of history, and all the righteous Jews would be resurrected and receive their bodies back in a planet where there's no more sickness, sadness, or sorrow. That's what she believed in. That's what she was putting her faith in, a better resurrection. And she, along with all those of faith, those on the first list, those on the second list are commended 
Their faith went deeper, right? Their faith was deeper than just answers here and now. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, and the second part of the list, received what had been promised since God had planned something better. He would planned something better for them than just existence on an earthly planet with suffering and death. He planned something better so that all of us, the Old Testament saints and the New Testament Christians, could be made perfect together. What is he talking about? What is the something better that God had planned? You know, every religion says there's a great beyond. Every religion says there's an afterlife. There is a a paradise. There's a nirvana. There's a place that we go where we experience this heavenly reality. And they all say that there's this chasm between us as human beings and that reality. There's this chasm. There's this bridge. And so right now we don't experience all of that. There is death. There is disease. Turn on the news. It's, it's, it's a mess out there in the world, right? We're not experiencing that right now. And how do you bridge the gap? Well, the holy men of these religions say, here's what you do. If, if you pray a little bit harder, if you, if you come to church a little bit more, if you say these things and believe, if you do these things, it will propel you across the gap. That's religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity promises something much different than that and much better in my estimation because Christianity doesn't give you a set of practices, a set of to-dos to propel you across the gap. Christianity gives you a person, a person a flesh and blood person who comes from the other side. He didn't claim to be a prophet or just a wide teacher. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed that God was his father. He claimed to walk on this planet and proclaim the very truth of God. And he died on the cross on Good Friday for us. And three days later, he rose from the dead, showing that a better resurrection was really real. Christianity doesn't give you practices. It gives you a person. It doesn't say, do these things. It says, done. Why why is there a cross in this room? That is the most brutal place of torture. Why has that become a venerated holy site? Because on Good Friday, God was on that cross. God was on that cross for you and me. He died in our place, and he said, it is finished. The work of religion is done. You don't have to do anything. It is done. Freedom and forgiveness and grace is offered you because of the person of Jesus Christ. Today just proves that it was right. The resurrection proves that Jesus was God and that he did actually die. The resurrection proves that it all worked. That's what the author is saying. We have something better. We don't just have a promise. We have a person. And that's what happened on Easter morn when those women went to the tomb. They thought there was going to be a dead body of a dead dream, a dead Messiah. There's nothing good about a dead Messiah for a Jew. A Jew is looking for an earthly human figure, a governmental, military man that's going to set things right. A dead Messiah is a dead dream. That's why none of the men are at the tomb. Do you realize in the the resurrection stories in the gospel, none of the men show up. Why? Because their movement was over. Their dream was done. It was over. They they were afraid they were going to get the same thing as Jesus, get killed. They were nowhere near the tomb. The women are going to the tomb to dress his body to finish the, the preparation for his burial. 
And so these women come to the tomb and they don't get a dead Messiah. They get a resurrected Lord. An incredible thing. God showed them the something better. Jesus is alive. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for the angels of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. That's what angels always say, right? I'm going to be afraid if I see an angel. These are big guys, right? They're bright. They're glowing. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. He's alive. Death has no hold on him. The stone has been rolled away. He's blown through death. He is alive. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. So the women hurried away from the tomb and filled with joy and amazement, ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet. He's not a ghost. He's not a figment of their mouth. He has flesh and blood bones. Look at my feet. Look at my hands. I am a risen bodily savior, right? They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There I will meet them. Death had been defeated. Suddenly, the reality of something better was not just a promise from the past. It was a flesh and blood reality because Jesus had risen bodily from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, that hope can be alive in you and I today. That is the reality of the resurrection. The Gospels record several resurrection appearances. It's not just an empty tomb that we proclaim, guys. If all it was was an empty tomb, somebody can say, oh, well, they stole the body, they hid the body, oh, dogs ate the body. You know, that's what all the liberals say. But guess what? The body keeps showing up. (laughs) It shows up to disciples in multiple places at multiple times, not just one person. Multiple groups of the followers of Jesus who were Jews see him, they eat with him, they touch him, and he explains the scriptures. Read the gospels. He's explaining to them, actually, the scriptures have foretold all of this. I came to die and rise from the dead so that you could have the hope of eternal life. And suddenly these cowards who had run away from the whole thing, afraid for their own skin, they become incredibly courageous. Their lives are transformed. These are fishermen. These are guys that just followed a Jewish Messiah. They were convinced that he was going to be the one. He died. Their dreams died. They they were afraid. They ran away. But when they saw him, they became courageous because of the reality of the resurrection. They begin to tell their friends. They begin to proclaim it. Here's here's Peter, a fisherman, before the Jewish leadership who could kill him. Life and death is his hands, and he's not afraid of death. He's so courageous. He said, it's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that these were unschooled. They were unlearned. They're ordinary fishermen. They were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. What happened? How do you account for the transformation? How do you account for the courage? How do you account for the story? Well, they made it up. It's a hoax. It's a lie. They fabricated this, right? Because there was a book deal. 
They were going to make a lot of money on this deal. There was a government position for them, right? I mean, I've lied before. Hey, pa- I'm a pastor. Let me be honest with you guys. I said a couple of white lies every once in a while. No, no, cat, I didn't eat that brownie. I, I think I'll try this one, right? Got, you know, come on, let's be honest, you know? No, 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 I didn't hear you when you said take out the trash. I'm sorry, I missed it. Oh, I told you 15. Oh, I, I, you know, I've got a hearing problem, right? We've all lied for the benefit of a job sometimes or a better thing because the only reason you fabricate something is there's a Benny for you. You're going to get something in return. What did these guys get for this story? They got killed. They got crucified. They got boiled in oil. They got sawn in two. They got a spear in their side. All of them, every disciple died for this truth. If it was a lie, they knew it. They're talking about a historical thing. They're not talking about some pie in the sky. Yes, I believe heaven is real. Some people might die for that. They're saying, no, heaven is real because I touched a resurrected Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. I saw him. I touched him. He's real. Right? How can you account for this? Nobody in their right mind is going to die for a lie. Maybe one guy might die for a lie. But would 11 and hundreds die for a lie? Let's get real with the facts of the case. The resurrection happened, and this courage was because they had been transformed by the reality of Jesus Christ, and suddenly a whole new worldview happens, an explosion of a worldview change, and suddenly the church erupts out of the resurrection, and thousands of Jews are somehow changing the way that they worship. How do you account for the sociological change of thousands of years of beliefs, right? The law of Moses, you sacrifice in the temple, you get covered for your sins. The Sabbath is holy. You worship the Sabbath if you want to be acceptable to God. You keep the law if you want to have God accept you. Do these things, right? All of a sudden, this community is transformed overnight, and Jews who love God stop making sacrifices. How do you account for that transformation of a worldview Sociologists would say just one of these worldviews, the Sabbath, the animal sacrifice, the worship of Jesus as God now, this would take hundreds of years of argument and dialogue to change a person's reality, and yet this changed practically overnight. This is the historical documentation of the church. How do you account for that? There had to be a seismic shift. There had to be a trauma that happened to them to do that. The only explanation for the trauma is the reality of the resurrection. They met the resurrected Christ. And suddenly they started worshiping on Sunday. Suddenly they stopped sacrificing. Suddenly they begin to worship Jesus, which was blasphemy. A man is God? That's blasphemy for a Jew. No, he's the venerated Savior and I worship him. How do you explain that now the Messiah becomes a suffering servant, right? Versus a political powerful figure You can't explain this kind of change for thousands of Jews without the reality of the resurrection. That is why our faith is real, but it's on the facts of the resurrection. And so there's only one explanation for this day and why you're here. is because Jesus did rise from the dead. And this is what Paul said. He's a skeptic. He hated Christians. He persecuted them. He put them in prison. And then he met this risen Christ himself, and he became the greatest preacher of the New Testament church. He says, but Christ is indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. Do you know what first fruits are? You ever been to Napa? Good wine up there. 
good juice. If you go early to Napa, you go out in the vineyards, there'll be a vineyard master and he'll take a little bit of fruit. He goes, oh, that's good juice. The crop is going to be amazing this year. You taste that juice, it's sweet, it's perfect. The Cabernet is going to be awesome. That's the first fruit of what's to come in the harvest. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the first fruits for everybody who's fallen asleep, everybody who's died in Christ, everybody who faces death is not really dead. They've fallen asleep and they're going to come alive. When Jesus returns and gives you a new bodysuit back that will never die or decay, when he resurrects this planet and gives us a new world where there's no more sickness, sadness, sorrow, death, grief, cancer, and that's the reality of the resurrection. That's why we can clap and celebrate and say thank you to Jesus Christ. He's alive and you can live too because of the rally and the resurrection. As the band comes up and we close our service today, we're going to celebrate with song and just be thankful. But I just want to talk to some of you today who maybe have never made that a reality in your life. There are many people here of faith that believe this reality and they're basing their life upon it. They've said yes to Jesus Christ. By faith, they've grabbed onto that reality and they've been born anew through the, through the love and the grace and the Holy Spirit of God. But maybe you have never made that decision. Maybe actually God brought you here today, not just to be for the friend or not just to have brunch. Those are great things. But maybe he brought you here today because he wanted you to know how much he loves you. He wanted you to know that he wants to be in eternity for heaven with you. He wanted you to know that he sent his very son for you. That overwhelming love of God to give his life so that you could have an eternal relationship with him. He wanted you to know the reality of the hope of the resurrection so that you didn't have to go to death alone without hope, with fear, with uncertainty. You could be certain that there's life beyond the grave. That is the reality of the resurrection. Jesus is saying to you today, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live even though you die. The Bible says as we declare with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that he's the risen Savior, and we believe in, in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we too can be saved. We too can have an eternal life with God forever. Do you want that life? Do you want that offer? It's a free offer of grace. It's nothing you have to do to earn it. You accept it by faith. You say, yes, Jesus, thank you. You are my Savior. You are my king. You are my Lord. When you died on the cross, you died for me. When you rose from the dead, you rose for me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to accept you into my life. If that's the desire of your heart today, I just want to offer you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray with you a simple, beautiful prayer. And just repeat these words and pray them to God. Pray them to Jesus. He is here right now. He is a risen Savior. And he will accept you. He will love you. He will forgive you. He will put his very spirit inside of you and you'll be born anew into his kingdom forever. Let's bow our heads together. And if that's the desire of your heart this morning to say yes to Jesus, yes to the resurrection, yes to an eternal hope, and to open your heart to him for the first time, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me in your heart to God. Dear Jesus, this morning I realize you are both Savior and Lord. I realize that when you came to die on the cross, you died for my sins. 
when you rose from the dead, you rose for my resurrected life. Jesus, I open the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me anew through the reality of your resurrection. I accept you and the gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for all of those that prayed that prayer for the first time. I pray for all of those in this room that need your hope and that resurrection life inside of them. Those that are suffering, those that are struggling, may they grab onto the hope of the reality of a better resurrection. Would you fill them with your grace, with your glory, and with your power today? We celebrate you. You are alive. We worship you. Thank you for rising for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.